When Russia first started its invasion of Ukraine, Russia was amazed that Ukraine could hold. Actually, I take that back. The world was amazed that Ukraine could hold. Maybe Russia always knew that it wasn't as tough as it said it was. What Russia had going for it was two things. A, an unlimited number of soldiers because they could be conscripted, gun to head, head down there and fight. Even though many of them didn't actually know what they were fighting about to begin with and may not still be 100% sold uh, right now. And number two, you had Putin who put all of it on this invasion, an invasion that wasn't necessary, an invasion that got no pushback from President Biden nor the world, an invasion that was fabricated. Remember Putin's task and goal is to grow Mother Russia. A man is a KGB agent who takes the fall of the Soviet Union personally. And there's no way to explain the levels to which, the depths to which that personal animus takes hold on him. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you guys. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. And Ukraine held. And Ukraine fought back. And people said, oh my gosh, these people are fighters. But it's been months. It has been months, and as the Wall Street Journal discusses, Russia's tactical shift in Ukraine raises prospect of a protracted war. Said differently, Russia has an upper hand, and it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now. West Point, War College, you see him on cable news outlets across the country as a military analyst, and of course, our military analyst here Give me the sea change from, or, or maybe it's maybe I'm using the wrong word. Maybe I don't want to lead the witness. Give me the difference between the first two months of this conflict and the last two months of this conflict. Tony, really great to be back with you. Uh, you. You now have an army that's learned, a military that's learned. The first two months, the Russians tried to do daring raids. They brought their most elite units into places that they thought they were going to overrun Ukraine military forces. They were spread out along uh, avenues of approach that were too wide for them to support. And they thought it was going to be over in three days. They ended up losing a lot of troops. They ended up trying to go back and do the same thing over and over again. And they finally realized that the only thing that's going to work for them is what happened in World War II, when it worked in World War II. And then they concentrated their forces. They focused along certain avenues uh, in the Donetsk, in the in Luhansk, in the, in the region where they wanted to take along with Crimea. And so really for the past month, they've had tremendous success there. They've taken it almost an inch at a time, let's say, but the bottom line is they are winning. And it's, it's hard for us to come to that conclusion now because we've been so positive about how the Ukraine military is fighting, and they, and they are. The, the fact that they're losing 200 men a day is one report that I've seen. But, uh, but at the end of the day, Russia still outguns them, let's say, 40 to 1 when it comes to artillery tubes, and it still has more ammunition than Ukraine has. And, um, and, and they're finally now breaking through and taking advantage of it. It's taken four months They've had a tremendous amount of casualties, and to your point about Vladimir Putin, he's not stopping. He, he still wants the whole thing. He wants the whole chunk, and he's going to do whatever he can to get to that spot. Now, going through a couple of pieces here, right, I was taking a look at that Wall Street Journal piece that you actually had uh, tweeted out. You could follow uh, the major, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, Major Mike Lyons on uh, Twitter. Uh, that piece, after early missteps, Russia has found tactics that are working as it makes steady advances in eastern Ukraine. I couple that 
with a piece from the BBC. Civilians flee frontline city as mm-hmm. Russians advance. So we watched the terror at Mariupol. We mm-hmm. certainly saw the early invasions of Donetsk and, and, and Luhansk, right? Mm-hmm. Those areas on the eastern side heading uh, uh, towards the sea uh, there. But we have not heard much about Kharkiv, and we have not heard more about uh, bombing raids in Kiev. What we'll hear about is a mall gets bombed and 12 people are dead, but it's a mall. How are not 200 people dead? And there is a lot of not believing the reporting that's going on there. So when you talk about tide turning, when you talk about uh, 200 soldiers uh, a day, Ukrainians uh, a day being killed, do you have faith in that data and do you have an idea as to what's not being reported to the general populace? Well, so which general populace is it to, to you know from the east or to the west? I think that you know Russia is obviously reporting it's facing off to its people that things are going well there, and and I think we're trying to find positive things that are happening from the west. For example, the Ukraine is chipping away at the south. They have uh, Russia right now owns about ninety percent of that coastline on the Black Sea uh, from the, what was formerly Ukraine, and uh, they can't take Odessa. If, if Odessa falls, it'd be a huge. Uh, loss for for the Ukraine uh, government, um, and they're chipping away down in places like Kharkiv in the south. There, using um, indirect and um, you know in, irregular warfare, basically guerrilla warfare, is what they're doing. They haven't done that in the east and Donetsk there because it's still fundamentally conventionalist artillery. And what I mean by artillery, it's standoff. The R- Russians don't have to get too far in, into the fight. It's not very close in battle where it's not you know tank on tank. Those things aren't happening. The reason why the the Ukraine military is losing so many people is because uh, of the artillery and the fact that uh, they, they fire it in mass. They fire it as an area fire weapon. They don't have to be accurate. Now, we've brought HEMARS. We've brought other some kind of artillery that, that has great capability back to, onto the battlefield. But we've delivered, I've read reports of four platforms. They need 50. They need, they need a tremendous amount of, of logistics as well as all that. But when you have a governor of a city saying we have to evacuate 350,000 people, that's just you know, too big a too big a deal. I mean, to, you know, how are you going to get them out? You're obviously not going to get them all out. There's going to be more civilian deaths, um, and Ukraine just doesn't have the, the military. They don't have the the forces right now. I'd say both sides are fighting on reserves. I'll give you that. Um, both sides are somewhat exhausted, but I'd say the Ukraine military is still more exhausted than the Russian military right now, which is why it's going to keep going. Part of this is a conversation about where America is involved and not uh, involved. You heard uh, President Biden at the G7 summit saying, you know, we're going to be with Ukraine till the end, which I thought was actually an ominous statement more than, than anything else. $40 billion just a few months ago allocated for Ukraine. Is it in America's best interest to keep Vladimir Putin fighting in this fight. Does this take our eye off the ball of what is uh, the, the, the China threat? Is there more to lose by Ukraine losing to Russia than we realize? Well, if Ukraine loses to Russia, it's more of a European issue. And, and the fact we see the Germans have woken up about this. Uh, you'll see Finland and Sweden and NATO now. The Turks seem to be more on board but it's going to isolate uh, more Russia in Europe. The question is whether they'll stick to it, whether you know they'll go back. The, the, the world still wants to go back to February 23rd when they were all buying Russian fuel and everything was good. And, and I, I, so I, I'm not sure it's gone on kind of long enough in that regard. Um, from us, we've got to keep our powder dry, and, and we've got to still focus on China, the, the threat that our, that our Navy has there with almost twice the number of combat ships they have in the south 
Pacific in, in, in the South China Sea. And so I think that uh, that's always going to be a mission. But that's not to say we can't you know, do both here. I think right now, unfortunately, the administration seems to be threading this needle of, of almost managing the, the, the slower destruction of Ukraine. And, and I think you're going to see a lot more pressure come on from politicians to provide even more things. What will end up happening, if, 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 if we can, deep down, if the Russian military gets destroyed there, which is still a possibility as well, uh, that's all. That's good for that's good for the world. That's good for security within Europe as well. Um, so I th- I think you're going to see uh, more support for more more things, more military equipment going to Ukraine, and the sweeping thing behind that is you're seeing both Poland now as well as all those NATO countries that were all reliant on former. Soviet level equipment when they were in the Warsaw Pact or NATO, they're all going to get new equipment. It's going to be a great time to be a defense contractor for the next 10 years. You're going to see a big upswing in opportunity there because all those uh, Western, Eastern, Western European countries now that were formerly on, had, had uh, Warsaw Pact equipment is all going to buy new stuff and it's all going to be NATO stuff and it's going to be good stuff. And I think they're going to, they're going to, you know, kind of do that as soon as the situation is over here. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, uh, West Point guy, war college guy, and military analyst uh, that you catch all over the cable news nets and our military analyst here. I want to discuss the idea that if Russia falls, it's good uh, for for all of us, uh, because the question before us would be, Does do these European nations have what it takes to help rebuild a Russia, and I'm not talking about necessarily with dollars, but with with attitude. Do they have what it takes to carve up pieces of Russia? Do they have what it takes to keep China at bay? Before we get to all of that, you had uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada and Boris Johnson of, of the United Kingdom joking about Vladimir Putin's shirtless photos and horseback and, and, and the bear and, and, and everything else. And they were going to take their, their own uh, shirtless photos and kind of mocking Putin that way. Putin responded by saying, yeah, nobody wants to see this. But I am, I am left to wonder, and I've, I've discussed this on cable news, this is not a serious group of people focused on uh, the welfare of their own nations, never mind the welfare uh, of Europe, if the the job is to sit around the table and mock Putin while they don't have victory well within their grasp. Was there a worldwide take to this conversation that took place? Well, the thing is, Europeans seem to forgive themselves when they make these mistakes, and Macron and, 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 and frankly, the European leaders, we've not seen the kind of leadership that we, we need, frankly, in order to take care of this, and you know, the, and neither is our president, right? We don't, we don't have a Roosevelt, we don't have a Churchill, there's, no, there's nobody in, in, the, in the pool of these elected politicians that, that really get the magnitude of this and, and the fact that, um, you know, that Vladimir Putin still has tremendous capability and can do anything. He can, he can, he's even said it. He's even had it put on Russian media that he would attack London. He would attack Paris. He would attack Berlin. He would go after those. He could start the third world war. And whether we think we, you know, we could do something right away. We, we can't, uh, we would not nuke them. We would not fire nuclear weapons back. Uh, if you went conventional, it would take us years. It would take us years to wind up a military 
in order to do something. If he, if, for example, he just grabs the Belarus uh, military to the north there. He's got another couple hundred thousand troops. And the kind of chaos that would be created in Europe is just you know unthinkable, but, but it's possible. And, and I think um, we, we don't have a serious set of leaders, unfortunately, right now. And I, this, our president's not capable of grasping it as well. He's, a, he's got too many problems going on uh, to, to really understand it. And he just you know wants to write the check. It'd be nice if Germany, the, the economic hegemon of Europe is Germany, um, but but we've got now you know Angela Merkel 2.0, frankly, and that leader there, and Olaf Scholz, and and, and, and you know they, they still can't figure out how they're going to heat the country this winter because they've been too busy trying to align themselves with Russia. We just have to see where it goes. We're, we're in for a long haul, I think, in, in Ukraine, Tony. I think that it's going to be um, a lot more destruction, and I don't think you're going to see it end anytime soon. And that's going to lead to exactly how many dollars the United States needs to put into this, which I'm going to get to at another time. I want to get back to the point that I was making. If Russia falls, if Vladimir Putin fails and, it's, and, and his time is over, mm-hmm. am I wrong in thinking that parts of Russia could get carved up? Are the Russian people, uh, specifically to that western part of Russia bordering Europe, interested in being done with this Russian experiment? Do they feel a level of, of nationalism? I, I guess to, to a larger uh, question, a more broad question, what is the best result if Putin is gone for Russia and for Europe? Are, are they the same or are they different? Well, the best result is the Ukraine border is redrawn. I don't see, you know, the, the, the problem Russia always had with Crimea was it needs a warm water port, and that was where their navy was in Sevastopol, and they need that spot strategically. So, you know, the, how, the, how they do that without taking that, it's just, you know, from, again, from a military perspective, you, you looked at that and said they're going to eventually take that spot back because it's that important to them. Um, I, don't know how, I don't know how that works unless it's contracted out in, in the future. Let, let's say, let's say, Putin's gone, and the, the, the person who takes over Russia is going to be more aligned towards the West, which, again, I, I don't think that will work because in Russian culture, it's just ingrained to try to be a empire, uh, and, and, and it's ingrained in the people. It's ingrained in, their, in whatever thing they do. So it's it's they're not stopping. I, I don't I just don't see that as the case. And and we you know we you heard one of the Biden aides make this comment about the liberal world order. I mean, what are you talking about? That that is just a pipe dream. That is a world that you want to believe exists, but that world is never going to be here as long as you have a Russia with 160 million people with nuclear capability with the kind of military they have that can wreak havoc in, in, in Europe like they're doing right now. So I, I just, I, you know, you, I'd say, Tony, to answer your question, maybe to bring back that original border, but you're not going to see any nationalists. You're not going to see any people break away. You're not going to see Russia break up anytime soon. I think that, um, that culturally it's just too, and it, it, it's, they're just keeping their powder dry for another fight. It's just too much in their culture not to give up. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army military analyst, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, Major Mike Lyons, on Twitter. Find him there. Always a pleasure, sir. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz.